Blog Talk Radio. so much for joining me for Modern Living with Dr. Angela. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Chester. Today, I will be speaking with author Donald Hunter, and we'll be talking about his book, Have Camera Must Travel. Now, Don has filmed hundreds of documentaries across Canada and around the world, including Sesame Street, Children of the World, and The Nature of Things. Turning to dramatic production, he's worked on dozens of TV series including The Beachcombers, 21 Jump Street, and MacGyver. Don has retired after 14 fulfilling years as an instructor at an international film school. Now, he has worked on some stuff that we all know and love, so I am so excited to have him on the show today. Hello, Donald. Thank you so much for joining me here on Modern Living with Dr. Angela. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Nice to talk to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I am going to just jump right into all of the questions that I have for you. And the first is the title of the book, Have Camera, Must Travel. I love it. How did you come about that title? Well, that's kind of an interesting little story because – you know, I wrote this book over a long period of time, and um, it's sort of a, almost a hobby at the beginning. And then um, uh, years later, uh, I realized that I kept changing the title as, as I went along. I thought, oh, no, this is a better idea. This is a better idea. But none of them really stuck with me. And then one day I was in a, um, in a bookstore, really, and there was a, a, a section there of old used books. And I came across one with a title that I recognized from uh, when I was uh, – quite young, like a childhood age when television first came out, black and white TV, and usually a town like Winnipeg, where I grew up, had one channel, and it was called um, Have Gun Will Travel, and this was the business card of a uh, of a, a gunslinger who was out for hire, and he solved problems. His name was Peladin, dressed in black, so maybe we may remember him. But anyway, it goes back a long way, and it actually made a book of, of, of the TV series, and it just struck me when I saw this um, have gun will travel. I thought, well, why not have camera must travel? And um, I just borrowed it. I, I borrowed the title. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that. It is it is so wonderful how we are able to uh, look at the things that are around us and how they inspire us to do to do the things that, that we want to do. So uh, absolutely. I remember watching a particular uh, TV show as a young person and saying, I want to be on the radio, just like, you know, just like that guy. And lo and behold, here I am on the radio, uh, just like that guy, doing a podcast and, and all of that. They didn't even have podcasts then. But it was, you know, we, we the things that influence us, and, and you realize that um, when you see it, you just know. So I, I like how you were able to, to recognize that. I'm glad you didn't choose one of the other titles. It's very <laughs> catchy. 
Yes, now, when, like when, mm-hmm, when it was time to write, some folks might ask you, well, why did you choose to write a novel instead of a, uh, a, 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 a autobiography? You have so much to share about your travels. Why was it important to write it more so like a novel? Well, I, it really boiled down to one thing off the off the top, uh, and then it got a little uh, more complicated than that. But it, it's it's uh, what's in that book, of course, because it is um, true stories. And uh, I guess um, I, I made it into a novel because I had to change a lot of names, just just really to protect the innocent. I mean, there's a lot that goes on in people's personal lives that shows up in in the book. It's not just totally the you know, adventures of the cameraman. It's, it's the personal lives of the people that you that you work with and get involved with. And uh, it became very complicated thinking that I'd have to track all these people down and get their permission. In a lot of cases, they probably would be horrified. And, and I sort of got it to the point where I thought by changing names, uh, certainly they would recognize themselves if they read the book, but nobody else would recognize them unless they owed up owed up to what went went on, you know. So um, <laughs> it was really that kind of a thing, number one. And then secondly, because uh, Canada's national broadcaster, uh, the CBC, is, is where I worked all those years that, that the story's written about. And um, although I tried to keep it as accurate as possible, I needed to do some condensing and changing things a bit to... Uh, to make it fit into a, a book because the, the story takes place over a period of about 10 years from 1969 to 1979 really mm-hmm. and that became very cumbersome a lot of individuals so you have to introduce new characters new places the book was getting very sluggish so i took all of that and, and just took the highlights and condensed it into uh, in the book everything happens in about two and a half years and the number of characters is mm-hmm. slightly reduced so some people uh, one name is actually covering what happened with two people, so you know it becomes it very much becomes a novel. But the bottom line is, is that, you know everything that happens in the book actually happened, but not exactly as written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that no, answers I your love- question. I love I love how how you were able to do that and uh, being being mindful in that uh, let's change the name to something else so that everyone you know can have have their privacy. I know that exactly. that, that legally we have to do certain things and and all of that, but even beyond that, just being mindful enough to to say you know let that story be their story, but I can still share the story without um, including them. And I think that a lot of people do that. Um, I, uh, a lot of uh, lecturers, a lot of speakers, a lot of uh, preachers or pastors, uh, a lot of counselors, you know, you, you tell the story without saying who it is um, because you're trying yes. to make the point. So I think that authors do that as well, and especially in films. Um, we, we see that a lot as well, inspired by a true story or inspired after real life. So I, I love that. Now, mm-hmm. you... You write about uh, five potentially uh, fatal situations in in the book. Which mm-hmm. one um, do you feel was the worst experience? Now, here's where I'm going to put my disclaimer, the same way that I do for radio, right? And that is, if you want to know all of them, you've got to buy the book. If you want to know how the story <laughs> ends, you've got to buy the book. But we will give you this teaser. Um, is there Was there one that was a little worse than another? 
Yes, uh, yeah, there is one that stands out for sure, and I, and I think it stands out. I mean, you know, when you're in a situation where you think maybe you're going to die, uh, they're all pretty scary. But but usually these kind of things happen very quickly, and uh, you're either dead or or you or you've survived, and you know it was only a close call. But when you run into one that lingers on for, in this case, about a half an hour. Uh, you've got time to get very scared, <laughs> and a lot of thoughts go through yeah. your mind because you, you, you're being faced in a situation where you think you're going to die. You don't know how you're going to die, but you're pretty sure you are, and and as it goes on for a half an hour, it, it gets pretty scary. So that's why I sort of selected this uh, thing that happened to me in in the uh, we were inside the Arctic Circle on a place called um, Holman Island. Look it up. It's way up there inside mm-hmm. the Arctic Circle in the north of Canada. And uh, we were making a film up there, a crazy place to make a film, but the, they decided that it would have a special look, and it sure did. But uh, there was one day when we were out on the ice filming about 12 miles away from, from our base camp, and at the end of the day we wanted to shoot a sequence of a traditional uh, seal hunt because the, the story we were doing is a period piece going back to the 1800s about explorers and um, so one of the uh, natives decided, you know, or told us that he knew how to hunt the old-fashioned way with a spear and everything. So after everybody mm-hmm. moved off, we just stayed, the three of us, myself, the cameraman, uh, I mean, the camera assistant, and uh, and this native, and waited by the, by the well, you call it a shore, but it was really the edge of an ice shelf where uh, the ice ends and uh, oh, wow. and the Arctic Ocean starts, and just waited for a seal to come up. And with everybody gone and the quiet again, it wasn't too long before one popped his head up out of the water and the, the native threw his spear and hit the seal and mm-hmm. it was attached to a rope and he pulled it on shore. It was all very grisly, but it was how things were done in the 1800s. And uh, mm-hmm. we had this nice little sequence, but then we set off for back for the camp and everybody else had gone, so we're the only snowmobile left. And just my uh, assistant driving the snowmobile, and I was sitting on the sleigh on top of our bundle of equipment, which was sort of the traditional back seat there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hit a uh, some kind of a, I don't know a rising in the, the you know the the land is flat for sure because it's just ice, but you get certain areas where it had broken up at one time, and you get some ups and downs. And but so he's kind of powered the snowmobile over one of them with the sleigh behind and was a little too enthusiastic about it when we came down the other side we <laughs> hit pretty hard and I bounced off of the off of the sleigh onto the onto the ice oh, and wow. snow. Well, of course we're all dressed, you know, very heavily so I didn't really hurt myself mm-hmm. and get the wind knocked out of me. But when I shook off the uh, the surprise and looked around the snowmobile was in the distance still going away. He hadn't noticed that it'd fallen off. So long story short, the snowmobile finally oh, just disappeared no. out of sight, and there I was standing, you know, in this um, frozen white north mm-hmm. with nothing else around. And earlier that day, unfortunately, uh, there had been a polar bear that had visited our our um, camp where we were filming, oh, no. and um, mm-hmm. uh, that was that situation was resolved quickly because one of the guides showed up in his uh, snowmobile, and they all carry high-powered rifles and. And they didn't shoot the polar bear, but oh. the polar bear knew all about high-powered rifles, I guess, and and <laughs> traveled away. But we knew there was one in the region, and uh, there I am out in the ice and, and thinking, well, the polar bear is the only thing alive around here. And I just kind of wondered how long it was going to be before it found me. And um, yeah. it took about a half an hour for this for the driver to realize that I was missing and get other people out 
coming to search for me. And, um, well, obviously they got back before the polar bear found me because I'm still here. But, but that half Thanks hour was, uh, for that. was yeah. pretty, uh, pretty horrific. Yeah. I can, oh my gosh, I can only imagine. And, and I, in, in my mind's eye, I am putting together, um, I'm one of those people that watch uh, those shows about people who live like out in Alaska and, you know, just, just living off the land and the things that they have to deal with and the concerns that they have. So as you're telling that story, I'm trying to go through, you know, and find an episode that's kind of close to that. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. And then you're saying the polar bears and I'm like, oh, dear Lord, there's nothing out there. It is like flatland. Just I, yep, that's what they show on the episode. So you know yeah. what? Oh, I can I can only I know how intense it is on television, and that is the edited version uh, of of what they're presenting. I cannot imagine in real life um, what was going through your mind, and I am so glad that they that they did find you before um, the neighborhood polar bear did, because that would have been a totally different show of you know, yeah, how yeah. I survived, they, they I think, a, is, is, is the, is the other there, one. They, <laughs> they have a saying up there yeah, that I should I, share with you, it's in the book too, but I don't like giving it away yet, so uh, the, the thing is, how do you know when a polar bear is uh, sneaking up on you? Right, you don't. Right. Oh my gosh. That is that is so crazy. Oh my gosh. Well, Donald, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us about your book. We know Have Camera Must Travel is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. If someone wants to reach out to you, what is the best way to do that? Well, the book itself has uh, on Facebook. So all you have to do is punch in Have Camera Must Travel and go to Facebook and the whole thing will come up there, and then the information you can talk to me right directly there, and so on and so forth. So, all right, yeah, uh, that's that's the best it. way I to be in it. touch with me. Yep, I yep. love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you so much for spending some time with us here today as well. Real quickly, I'm going to go to our leaderboard. And coming in in the number one spot is a good old U.S. of A. Thank you, home country, for being number one. Number two is the Philippines. Number three, Australia. Number four, the United Kingdom. And number five, our neighbors to the north in Canada. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show and making the show an international success. You guys know that I love giving the shout out to the countries around the world that tune in and listen. Well, I am wishing each and every one of you an awesome and amazing day and week. May you be in good health and may you do it with a really good book. Until next time, everyone.